Hi, I'm Dee. And I'm Olivia. Hello. We have a special guest with us today. Uh, Ken is possibly in the woods flying past cars doing 90. Um, but that's none of our business today. <laughs> if you see Ken, you're not going to be able to take a picture of him in those woods. It's just going to show up as a glowing orb. Yeah, you're not going to get like a very good picture. So just don't bother. Please respect his privacy. He's just trying to warn people about the bridge. Yeah, I think I, I heard that he was going out to the Bourne Bridge again. But like, again, don't go looking for him. <laughs> this is his duty, his responsibility. We support him. As the harbinger of doom out there in West Virginia. Somewhere out there, some little red eyes are winking at you. <laughs> He's looking at you, kid. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are we talking about today? Ken asked me to talk about dead bodies! Dead bodies? Dead bodies! What's that Ogden song? Dead puppy. Oh, God. <laughs> Dead puppy. Oh, no, this is about human, human, human bodies. This is about human trafficking. Bringing it down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. This is, uh, is going to be it's a bit of a heavy one. Yeah, we're going to be talking about uh, bodies in the antiques and collectibles trade and where they come from. Where they come from, a couple of controversies that have popped up in the past couple of years, uh, both online and off. And this is going to be a heavy topic, and we are going to be using ghoul humor in this episode. Yeah, everything. Advanced warning. This is uh, sometimes literally gallows humor. Oh, we are going to be talking about gallows, so yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, But I do think it's an extremely important topic, especially given, uh, as you referenced, some recent controversies. Yeah, I was actually looking at some TikTokers talking about John Bones just a couple of minutes ago. Uh, if you don't know who John's Bones is, John's Bones was a Parson Design student in New York who started handing out business cards in Times Square to start his osteology business. And his osteology business was in selling repurposed medical skeletons. F repurposed? What a wonderful word that I want to hear about. A human being. It is. And the thing about... Here we get into the un uncomfortable part of the discussion. A lot of medical skeletons do not have much provenance. A lot of medical skeletons... Um, these days, post like the 1970s, come from people who donate their bodies to science willingly. Um, but... Over the years, fall into disuse. They are mixed up with other people's bones as they fall apart and are replaced and repaired. And prior to the 1970s, there wasn't much of a register to keep track of people. And medical skeletons were coming everywhere from potter's fields to um, executions. Ken talks a lot about ghouls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, it's it's um it's the modern ghouling, isn't it? It's modern ghouling. Um one of the ones I'm actually yeah. uh familiar with was uh I I watched a, a documentary, I, I guess the documentary on the Living Anatomy Project. 
I'm not familiar with that one. Ah. Is that like, is that the bodies exhibition? It, no, no. Although they'll, I'm almost certain they'll come up too. Uh, yep. <laughs> Cause I have thoughts about that as well. And I bet you do too. Yep. Uh, that was actually, uh, my first introduction was a good and ethical example of body processing for medical science. Oh. Uh, as the, the documentary is about Susan Potter, a woman Ooh. who, uh, of sound mind and a fairly unsound body, seeking to be a part of this program that was taking cadavers, preserving them, and then using a laser to cut them into slices and digitize those slices. So you had this- Oh, yeah, I've heard about yeah, this. Yeah, you have this huge like bank of information about human anatomy. Uh, she was initially right. rejected because she was very ill and had undergone a lot of body damage via car accidents and similar. Um, but she ended up convincing him, the the gentleman running the experiment, that a pathology- assessment was still something worth studying he agreed and they decided to do a documentary about her remaining years which ended up being i believe 15 when she thought she had a few months uh, i believe breast uh, cancer advanced breast cancer was one of her issues yeah and we do we do have a couple of other uh records of well-documented people who did want to have their bodies uh shown for their pathologies there are two there's a couple in the mutter museum i don't know exactly how romantically involved they actually were but they had a very similar and very rare condition where their muscles became bones yeah and it caused them constant pain and uh their condition was so rare and so under studied um that they very much wanted to have their remains put forward to the to the dedicated study of like Un alleviating that pain. And as I recall, their donation did go a huge way into helping people understand the process of the disease. Yes. The flip to the Living Anatomy Project is that before Susan Potter got involved, their only other donations were uh, a husband donating his wife's body, which is probably fine and above board, and a uh, prisoner on death's row who had been, for lack of a better term, coerced. Yeah. And speaking of the Mutter Museum, some people do, we do have some documented uh, notes from the bodies that they wanted to be displayed and some that we don't. I, I'm actually like, I really wish at least that the Mutter Museum would take down the signs that have uh, the slur for Romani people on certain skulls. Yeah. They're really behind on the times on that. Yeah. And also, speaking of John's bones, someone on TikTok saved a screenshot of him advertising a Sami skull ah. for sale. Yeah. Ah, okay. That yeah. sucks. And this happens all the time. I mean, museums are very slowly starting to actually dissolve their collections of human remains that were used in the anthropology department to measure skulls. Oh, you mean the but fake bullshit science that meant nothing? Yeah. That's good. I mean, it's slow, but it's good. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's one of the things that uh, over time coming up as an oddities interested person that the u.s is currently the only country i know of that has any protection for indigenous remains and we didn't have it until the 1980s i actually don't know if australia 
has that or not. They, I don't think they do, but I'm I'm not up to date on my Australian law. I've actually, I've actually got a list of legalities in uh, body trade for a variety of countries that did not make my list. But yeah, in the U.S., it is currently illegal to do any trade in uh, Native American remains due to the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, a stunningly rare act across the world. (laughs) A stunningly rare act and one that isn't fully enforced because, once again, several natural history museums, including the one in New York, still hold on to their human remains. If you go to look at their Pacific Islander exhibit, they still have a couple of shrunken heads that are um, human remains. And they won't give them back. And it says so on their display. It's great. Yeah, fuck those guys. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I know that the problem with enforcing laws like that is a lot like uh, taxidermy laws where there are whole periods of time where it was done in which paperwork was not accomplished. So proving anything is very difficult in either direction. Right. Yeah, a lot of the times, like... Paperwork in general, this this practice goes back so far that there wasn't even a lot, there weren't even set records for people's births and their names. There weren't even databases for this. And the, excuse me, and the databases that did exist could go up in flames. I mean, like I've mentioned on my Tumblr that I've unfortunately fallen down a hole that does include the Irish potato famine. And one of the reasons why it's difficult to figure out exactly what the population of Ireland was prior to 1848 is because the records just disappeared. Cool. Wonder where they went. Oh, God, where? So, yeah, what happened to their bodies of the people who didn't have names and families who would come and pick them up? Uh, Well, from what I've Mm. seen, it looks like they're probably sitting in some asshole's cabinet right about now. Yeah, uh, I guess I actually did highlight a couple of instances of history, although it's like incredibly difficult to narrow down the history of like the use of human bones in humanity, which is a weird way of putting that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm using my better human bones now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking more about like your grandma's bones. Yeah, yeah human burial practices and uh, different uses for human remains are varied in science, medicine, art, romance. You want to talk about Pedro and Inez? Ooh, Pedro Inez. Yes. Uh, My favorite and possibly only uh, Portuguese fairy tale that I know. Fairy tale based in some reality. I mean, they, these two people did exist. We do know that much. Uh, yeah. But yeah, if you're not familiar with the story, a Portuguese prince was in love with a common woman. And after a series of events in which his father tried to intimidate him to leave her and marry a woman of noble origin, the father had her assassinated. And upon finding this out, the son kill, killed the assassins. With his bare hands, according to Tumblr. According to, yeah, according to many stories, uh, with his bare hands. And when he succeeded the throne, he uh, dug up Inez's corpse and forced the members of the court that had refused to allow him to marry her in life to kiss her rings as the new queen of Portugal. Romance. The most end of when he had her reburied, he also set aside a plot directly across from her so that they would be the first to see each other upon rising uh, when... God does the rapture or whatever. 
Yeah. When God does the rapture, they they'll be looking at each other. Yeah. Yeah. And the uh, the monument does say Ateo Fim de Mundo or until the end of the world. That's really cute though. It's um I found an article that called it Portugal's only corpse queen, which really got me thinking of other countries that had more incidences of this. Yeah. It happens. Apparently it's just a thing. Like you have to be careful or your queen might be corpse. <laughs> I mean, like, theoretically, in ancient Egypt, the idea was that when the former pharaoh died, he became king of the underworld while his son was king of the, uh, of, of Egypt, of Kemet. Yeah, yeah, I mean, talk about, talk about the ritual preservation of bodies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, God, there's just, uh, I'm sorry, the reason why I keep zoning out is just because i'm running through the many different styles of funeral burial pits that i have read about in my textbooks oh god i want to hear about all of them but i know we have but give me some give me some good ones uh, most of them are just dig a hole under your floor and bury grandma um that's where grandma belongs you know (laughs) in a hole under the floor (laughs) you know something that i've been thinking about a lot lately is that one of the main reasons why uh so the origin of mummification and also the origin of the Christian idea that saints' bodies are uh, pure after they're dead and that they don't decay because God loves them so much all comes largely from the fact that the Mediterranean is a very uh, dry region. So bodies don't really decay that much. Like, obviously, they decay faster than for- farther north that you go, which is why in Egypt... Like, they were just like, I guess they're not supposed to rot. We better help them. Yeah, let's make sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's one of the reasons why there was such a longstanding legend that you were supposed to go and look at the saint was because in huge regions around the Mediterranean, the saint would be fine after he died for a long time. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, the uh, the story of the incorruptible saints. Exactly. Which is really funny when a... Uh, a blessed person dies today and then there is a weird global waiting to see if they decay. Is that a real thing? It, yeah, it happened with uh, Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa had been uh, named blessed, which is like the first of many, many, many steps to saint canonization in her lifetime. Right. And upon her death, uh, one of the things to consider for canonization was if her corpse rotted, which is right. why she was actually a uh, put on display uh laying in state as it were in a glass coffin um given that i she <laughs> given that uh given that she was in a hot climate at the time and inside a glass coffin that was trapping heat and humidity she did she did rot she, she did turned into mother Teresa's soup um she actually is still fast-tracked to being a saint uh that sucks yeah, I mean, I know Mother Teresa is actually probably one of the most uh, questionable saint figures out there. Um, did for a lot of good reasons, but yeah, she hasn't been canonized yet. I don't think. Uh, yeah. Uh, similar with Padre Pio, I believe he was I'm, also not incorruptible, but they did wait a while. I was about to say, I was about to bring up Padre Pio, who is somebody that I only know through like secondhand absorption, uh, but I know he's all over the fucking place. Uh, <laughs> in Italy, like it's actually so bad that I was at my clinic years ago, and this guy comes in immediately after me to talk to the doctor, and he had a Padre Pio keychain, and I was like, "Are you Italian?" He was like, "No," and I was like, 
the fuck you got Pio for? And he was like, he's he's my he's my man. He's my saint. He's my dude. <laughs> he's my dude. Gatekeeping Padre Pio. Gatekeeping Padre Pio for the Italians only. Yes. Oh, no, apparently he was incorruptible. Oh. Oh, okay. There was some reason why they didn't want to canonize him, though. Uh, yeah, I, I think it was just because they're having trouble proving miracles. Catholic hours with Dee and Olivia. Yeah, it's, uh, people will come up with a variety of reasons to block. It's, I mean, canonization is supposed to be very serious, and uh, everyone's still pretty butthurt that we don't have martyrs anymore. So anytime someone says, this guy should be a saint, because as I recall, Padre Pio was actually a pretty good dude. That's what I, that's the version that I always understand it, but I usually hear this from relatively devout people. I don't want to say- people who are already on board with Padre Pio are like, yeah, he's great. Yeah, I don't want to say too much about it, because if you'd asked me 10 years ago if Mother Teresa was a good person, I would have said yes. So, (laughs) um, you know, maybe you know something I don't. Padre Pio is not a saint that I was encouraged to look into, which is part of why I assume he was a good guy. Uh, Right, because he wasn't canonized. This is the part that I know, is that there was something fucky about his canonization. Yes. I think, actually, he might not. Yeah, he's canonized, like, 20 years ago. Oh, yep, exactly 20 years ago. There we go. Uh, I remember his canonization was very under contempt because people thought it was to distract from other extremely horrible things that were happening in the Catholic Church at that time. Yeah, that also makes sense. But that doesn't make him a Patrick Pio himself a bad person. We don't know anything about him. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) hit me up with your uh, Padre Pio knowledge. Most of human history has actually been relatively okay with using uh, human remains to advance the progress of science. Except for in Western Europe, and specifically the parts that are that were controlled by uh, Christian groups. And Wikipedia traces this back to the Edict of 1163, the Council of Tours by Pope Boniface VIII. Oh, God, and whoever that, yeah, that guy did Pope Boniface <laughs> VIII have like nine kids? I hate when, Pro- he, makes, oh, probably. I hate when he makes synods. <laughs> <laughs> I hate when the popes have children. I hate the fucking sign on. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let your bloodline die out. <laughs> Which edict was this? Um, <laughs> 1163 Council of Tours. And whoever has edited that Wikipedia page most recently claims that uh, Bonyface didn't actually outlaw autopsies, but that the wording of the edict was kind of weird, so people didn't want to do autopsies. Yes, okay, I do remember reading about that and it just being sort of like he who does autopsies is a total fucking loser and they're like is our, <laughs> we not allowed and then just yeah. like, no one responded <laughs> <laughs> yes people were uncertain about that but there were like little um little outlets little places that had different types of loopholes so like different cities would have different laws that would allow people to do this but it was very touch and go. Uh, also, Wikipedia notes that there were no provisions for artists to study anatomy through dissection. So all of the artists that you know from the Ninja Turtles are guilty of grave robbing. Yes, almost certainly. Um, yeah, e- either guilty directly or guilty by association. Yeah. Guilty because they paid people to do the grave robbing for them. Yeah, I, I think some of them, I- I'm thinking very specifically of uh, Giacomo, Giacometti. No, not Giacometti, Giacomo. The guy who did the Raft of the Medusa, yeah, yeah, yeah. he like went to body Oof. brokers and was like, can I paint while you guys do your shit? 
And it's like, yep. that's not ethically clear just because you didn't pay them. Yeah. And speaking of that, I've actually met uh, people who have come like to me to talk about their art experience, their art uh, studies, who have said that they have been brought to morgues by professors in order to do anatomical studies. That's an area that I feel strangely about. Uh, I think. All right. So, OK, so you're 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 archaeologically inclined, you know, way more about this than I do. So I'm, I'm curious as to your feeling on. I do agree that generally as as a culture, like a lot of Western culture, we are way too separated from like the concept of death. Oh, I definitely agree with that. I would. I think that it would be great uh, pending a lot of people getting really cool about a lot of shit really fast. <laughs> that there would be an outlet for people who wanted their bodies to be used that way. I would love to do artistic studying of the human body in that fashion, but on only if I knew that the person whose body it was very much wanted to be a part of that. Like I think it yeah. could be very good and very helpful and very artistically freeing and kind of reconnect us to the idea of death. Um, the problem is that the people who it is happening to never said that it was okay to do. Right. And mostly because that conversation hasn't come up, like, in society. Like, again, I actually do think that there would probably be more people who would sign off to be drawn by artists than who would sign off to have to donate their bodies to science. But I don't know. Maybe not. That's just, like, my initial assumption. I think um, if they knew how broad the topic of science was, like what a wide net it actually casts, I think you would be right. I think the problem is that people aren't aware that when people say for scientific study, they mean a lot of things, not right. things that you might necessarily personally be comfortable with. Right. Oh, well, there's a body farm on TikTok that actually does try to uh, demystify this. And unfortunately, every single time they do, a lot of people in the comments talk about how they don't want to donate their bodies to science anymore, you know? Like yeah. when the body farm talks about how they need to have bodies that they lay out in the sun so that they can watch them rot and like measure how the rot works in different ways that the rot takes place in the body. A lot of people in the comments are like, oh, well, that's not what I want my body to do. Yeah, they kind of want a cool, clean sci-fi experience for their body. And 90% of the time, that's not what you're getting. Right. Um, yeah, they want to be dissected into little slivers and sealed in resin, which is awesome. It's, it's, it's rad as fuck, but like, you're going to have to be very specific in your wishes if that's exactly what you want to happen. Yeah. And, and it's it's kind of that, the body farms, I think, being very nobly per, like transparent about what happens to your body when you get cleared for their version of science, uh, as opposed to, oh, I don't know, the U.S. military picking up bodies to explode them to see the way the body parts explode, which yeah. is something they do for quote-unquote medical study. Yeah. And is something that exactly. people are pretty unhappy with when they find out after the fact that a loved one's body was used in that fashion. Right, was used to make sure that a weapon that we made could definitely kill someone. Yeah. Um, and I, so, yeah, I think, like you said, the conversation doesn't happen, so none of this is obvious. Like, we, people don't talk about it, which means no one gets to talk about, hey, what does it mean to donate your body to science? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, talking back to, like, how disconnected we are from death, uh, I mean, like, I have arguments, like, I had an argument with my supervisor, like, a low-key argument with my supervisor back in October because a different supervisor was like, oh, it's October, I think I'm gonna go for a nice walk through a graveyard, and, the and like, one person was like, oh, that's awful, you're gonna be haunted, and that's so disrespectful to take a walk through a graveyard in autumn and watch the leaves change, and I was like, no, 
That's exactly what people do. That's why they leave the headstone up so you can read their name and remember them. That's the point. It's a place of reflection. Yeah. 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 Hey. Hey. <laughs> Fuck you, whoever that was. Hey, Michael. Hey, Michael. <laughs> and pro tip, if you visit another public area before you go home, you'll shake off any ghosts. My grandma taught me that. <laughs> <laughs> D at the 7-Eleven slowly rubbing up against a stranger. I literally for years would go to the 7-Eleven specifically. It is crazy that you immediately jumped to that. <laughs> I would get myself a slushie. I would wave at someone else in the aisle and I'd say, oh, this goes to your problem now, friend. Wow. <laughs> well, the actual theory is that the ghost gets confused at being around the living and goes just back to the graveyard or where it knows okay. it belongs. Good, because otherwise, yeah, I'm just gonna be like throwing the horns at you, being like Malokio. Malokio. Yeah, no, it's 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 less about uh, making it attached to someone else and more about not giving it time to attach to anyone. Hmm. You don't get you don't give it time to forge a relationship with you. So yeah, you dump it in the seven eleven and it's like, oh God, oh God, I don't know anyone here. <laughs> And then I can't get, <laughs> can't get a slushy. Can't get a slushy, and then they go, and then they go back to where they belong. Okay, fine. So yeah, if you're concerned about that specifically, there's your fix. <laughs> you don't need to go to the to the grocery aisle at the Seven Eleven, crack open the eggs, and start rubbing them all over your body. You do not need to do that. <laughs> Leave the salt alone. And you know the thing I find that the number one way to not get haunted is to just kind of be respectful when you're there. Yep. Uh, you know, if you see if you see Mr. Boner, don't kick his headstone and go, do you like that, you dumb boner? And, like, there's a good chance he won't see fit to haunt you. And listen, 40 years of goth kids have taught us that the dead love having their photo taken. They do. They do. As long as, yeah, like I said, as long as you're keeping everything respectful. And you look great. Keep it respectful, look good, and the dead are going to be happy. The dead are going to be so, they're going to have such a fun time with your visit. Yes. <laughs> Uh, we haven't talked at all about bone trafficking, actually. Uh, well, no, we're, we're setting up, there's a, lo- there's a lot of groundwork to cover. I mean, it will shock everyone to know this is an ancient topic. <laughs> yeah, it's literally as old as bones. But uh, yeah, piggybacking off of the, the talk about donating your body to medicine and the issues like of consent there, there was uh, an extremely recent issue with that. Oh, is this the Oddities Convention? This is the Oddities Convention, where they charge yes. $500 a head to do a live dissection of a human being. Right. Uh, and perhaps it will shock you to know that his family was horrified at the way his body was used. They did not expect his body to be used for those purposes. And I think this was, uh, for better or worse, living in like the fucking 24-7 news panopticon. I think it's literally the first time I've seen a lot of people forced to contend with the idea of donating your body to science, not meaning anything in particular. Because yeah. that is what happened. His body was donated, quote unquote, to science. From for there, educational it was a, purposes. For educate, Yeah, it was educational purposes. That was the loophole, yeah. Yeah. And so a company called MedEd Labs obtained right. the body, which the name sounds very like that. If you don't know anybody, you'd say, okay, that's fine. And they sold it to a place called the Curiosity Expo. And then I think it was actually like somebody who does still work with MedLed. Like it was like somebody who's notorious for doing this, who is actually a participant of MedLed, 
Yeah, I think it was, uh, I can't remember their first name, but I actually have their name here as Nasiri. I think it was like the chairman who still works there. Yeah. And was just like, oh, if I'd known that, I wouldn't have sold it to them, which is very much going on their word. Yeah, I mean, it is the Curiosity Expo. And it is also a question of like, what, where does this, where does this, um, logic take us like should there be space for the public in a dissection room I, in a th- clinical closed dissection room how do you feel about it i think that the distinction that i would make between a dissection room that would admit somebody who wants to learn and a curious and a and an oddities expo is that an oddities expo is a convention and there's a certain air about it and there's a certain expectation, a certain level of ca- casualness and formality. I would not expect anyone to bring a cell phone and a selfie stick into a dissection room. That's true. Okay, so you're, you're in favor of it under the expectation that it is taken very seriously and not as a general part of a convention. Well, I mean, wouldn't it go back to the argument that we were talking about before about having artistic... Um, models yeah yeah that was that's always been kind of my thought was just that that way it happened was horrifying um the idea of people taking selfies and generally treating it like a day at the circus is horrifying but the core idea that people who are not involved in medicine specifically could become acquainted with both death and the workings of the human body that sounded almost like a good idea but like you said it's all in the execution it's all in the execution Ironically. Right. Yeah, I mean like the the juxtaposition between allowing open space for better education and then opening up the door for a much more casual attitude towards other people's bodies is literally like it has historically been a slippery slope. You know, like we were talking about ghouls. And we were talking about Ken's love of the Burke and Hare case of 1828. Um, So starting with the Murder Act of 1752 in Great Britain, this started the tradition of using bodies of convicted murderers for medical study and only for convicted murderers. And like the medical schools almost instantly ran out of usable bodies. So first, this sets a precedent to treat dissection like a punishment. And then secondly, a black market of cadavers springs up immediately where people start robbing graves and there which was what this act was set up to avoid and this kind of culminated in 1828 when burke and Hare killed 16 people to supply medical schools with cadavers and the resulting out was that many holy shit i know you always think it's like five (laughs) or six right (laughs) yeah because they got caught real fast yeah like the amount of destruction they managed to do in such a short period of time is intense yeah, if you, it, listener, if you don't know about the Burke and Hare case, it's fucking wild. It's so quick. I think last podcast might actually have covered it. Uh, I think actually Ken said he wanted to do an episode on it in the future. He is a big fan of it. Oh, yeah. Yes! So, uh, yeah, look, for, look, keep your eye on this space. We might actually cover that particular incident in detail. I have got my eyes open, peeled, <laughs> and stuck to the follow Which is button. why we're excited to do this, uh, this one with you. Uh, because the greater culture around the acquisition of bodies is very important to why that happened. Yeah. But it also, like, it does instantly bring us to how that affected colonialism, right? Yes. Because once again, 
dissection was treated like a punishment. Dissection was a way to literally take someone apart and start moving their body in pieces all around the country. Yeah, it was considered a kind of like directed disrespect of their remains. Right. And something that I've always been fascinated by is that uh, is that factoid about law books being bound in the skin of hung criminals in America yes. for a number of years. And actually, I think in other countries as well. Yes, including at least one book on the pathology of skin disease, which is grimly yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah. The way that I was always taught is that the majority of those books were law books. Yes, yeah. I, I think most of them were law books. Right, which is why when I was working at Obscura, people would call up and say, hey, do you have any books bound in human skin? And I was like, Haha, no, sorry. We only deal with medical antiques, not law antiques. Ha <laughs> ha, hey Hey! Also, the Mutter Museum has uh, the premier collection of human skin books at the moment yeah they actually have some of the non-law ones oh that's actually really cool yeah those are very rare those are uh, incredibly actually rare. also some non-law ones in the boston athenium as i recall but there's boston? way more law ones yeah did you say austin or boston boston sorry not austin okay <laughs> yeah the not not the athenium i'm sorry the uh, the harvard medical library oh that makes sense obviously yeah they do have a they have a few examples yeah. And the question of like how do we re repatriate that? Yeah, who, that's who does that belong to? That it's uh I would say I'm not familiar with what we are still capable in terms of like forensics. But I it just seems like it's impossible, right? It would be extremely difficult because even the forensics is going to be like is going to be extremely hampered by not only time but also the tanning process, the tanning and dyeing process. Oh, yeah, the chemicals that strip the skin of things you could check. Yep. Yikes. Yep. Yeah, and also, like, speaking of the Mutter Museum really briefly, like, uh, the Mutter Museum has a really large collection of fetal tissue. Um, so that includes the double-edged sword of how many parents signed off on having their kids displayed because I think it's got to be at least more than one if these are infants. Uh, yeah, up until a point, it was pretty common for parents of uh, infants or fetuses that, for whatever reason, were terminated, just did not know what happened next. Mm -hmm. They were just sent home. Yeah. that That is true, but oftentimes, like, in the instance of the Mutter Museum, or at least what they have on display, a lot of these children had deformities that made them unviable at birth. Yes, and yeah. So, the if in in ex certain extreme instances, I do believe that the doctors would tell them, but I don't think that that's necessarily good because once again, we're talking about the phrenology era, and so this would have been a doctor coming in and being like, "Hey, are your genes fucked up? What's going yeah. on with your kid?" Yeah, which is um, not cool no <laughs> understatement of the goddamn century not cool so yeah consent how exactly do you measure consent in extremely specific instances of like a couple being shamed because they didn't know that you're not supposed to drink during pregnancy because it's the 1890s like i'm not trying to like say that they were uneducated no one knew that yeah, that's the thing is that, yeah, there are whole periods of time where that 
knowledge was simply not accessible to literally anyone. Yeah. So, yeah, to put them on display as parents who had, quote-unquote, done that to their child, like, uh, is that fair? I don't know. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, I don't know. This, these are all really difficult. We're not here to answer a lot of questions. We're here to make you think. <laughs> We're going to answer some questions. Hmm. Yeah, this, uh, it's just basically like a really long list of bad stories. Like, I was thinking about how a lot of people that I know in the oddities community will talk about going to Europe and because plague pits, um, they have a very different relationship with human remains due to them. Yes, yeah. And, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the bullet points that we use, like the line-by-line ethical statements that we use to talk about human trafficking in America don't apply in the same way in Europe, which is essentially just death tourism. And I think that we need to look at that the same way that we look at sex tourism. This is still a question of consent and consent with people's bodies. And the question is not like, where can I go where it's okay for me to get a skull? It's more a question of like, what do we need to do on our end to keep people from shopping for solutions? Yeah. Yeah. It's like what cultural changes need to be made and additional legal changes that really put a plug in this behavior, period. Yeah. Because it's never just one or the other. It's got to be a cultural shift and legal action, like either on their own or meaningless. Yeah. Oh, I think a cultural shift is, you know, a thousand times more powerful than a law you can pass, but the laws are still very helpful in uh, making sure people don't step over that line. I think that conversation and contemplation are good key steps. I know that that sounds incredibly trite, but I really don't think that, like, we were just talking a couple of minutes ago about how most people don't even know what they're signing up for when they say that they want to donate their bodies to science. Yeah. And I think that that deals a lot with the taboo surrounding death. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 100%, yeah. And you you were talking about death tourism, and I was, I actually, while I was poking around, I found a case where in 2013, which is horrifyingly recent, there was a Facebook group dedicated to human remain oddities that sold a skull that someone had just yoinked from the Seuss catacombs in Tunisia. Oh my god. Uh, for, oh god. For no reason other than the fact that those catacombs had less guard than the other catacombs that you could go tour. Right. Oh. And as far as I can tell, that person didn't get in trouble for what is legally looting. That is wild. Because I know that Tunisia has, like, a lot of justifiable anger at white tourists. Well, at European tourists and American tourists. Yeah. Yeah, 100% justifiable, it seems. Yeah. Oh, and, uh, yeah! Yeah. Because looking into it, it became very clear that this person had gone there to do that. This yeah. was a, a person in Europe who had made a trip to Tunisia with the express intention of taking human remains back illegally and immorally. Right, and there's a huge precedent for Europeans feeling like they have some kind of ownership over the bodies of people from Tunisia. Yes. And not even just Tunisia. Yeah. Actually, I was pretty shocked to find out that Facebook and Instagram are still currently the number one marketplaces 
for human remains casually. I think that in a lot of states, the laws surrounding human remains are more or less the same laws surrounding taxidermy, where as long as it doesn't leave or enter the country, many states are fine with it. It kind of is viewed as grandfathered in, and as long as you have some kind of provenance that proves that you didn't hit this person over the head and boil their body, it's fine. Yeah, there's sort of a vague understanding of um, the idea in that, like, the U.S., the laws are generally just not transporting. Um, I actually did a lot of research into this a while ago uh, because, ironically, at the time, I was considering the acquisition of human remains. Uh, I've changed since then. I don't see these things the same way I did when I I was sort of, like, heady high on the high of, like, the oddities trade. Yep. Um, there are only three states that have clear and concise rules about uh, importing and exporting human remains in and out of the state. And again, and that's only in and out of the states. Yeah. There are 38 states that have laws regarding the sale of human remains, but if you look at them, they're meaningless and would be extremely difficult to like, meaningfully enforce so they tend to just be enforced when something notably bad happens where everyone goes, oh god, no. At which right, point right, you can right, pluck right. a law out and say, that's what we're going to charge you with. Which, which, to be fair, is the purpose of a lot of laws. is basically just to quell... Uh, <laughs> to punish an unpopular outcry. person? <laughs> Here in the US? <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to find a nicer way of putting it, but yeah, actually I do sign off on your assessment of the legal system. Lots of laws exist so that you can technically get one over on someone people already don't like. Yeah. And and here and just the fact that sometimes it is correct to not like them does not make this any more just. <laughs> right. Because the whole point is that the system is supposed to be blind, and if it isn't, then it's not fair. Anyways. Yeah. My big problem with vague, randomly enforceable laws. Um, but yeah, in the US there is very little blowback for doing it, and they're it's such an active trade that finding someone in your state is extremely easy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, John Bones is in my city. Yeah, you could just walk into that guy in person. Yeah. Hey, John. John's Bones. Where's that Sammy skull? <laughs> yeah, man. I want to purchase it. Take me to it. Yeah, I'm definitely not going to punch you out and take it. <laughs> and repatriate it in some way. Speaking of which, there is actually, if you uh, put John's Bones into the TikTok algorithm, there is a woman who talks a little bit about um, her inheritance of a human skull and how she got about to repatriating it. I think she's the first uh, first recommended video in the algorithm right now. That's fantastic. I can't wait to check that out. What, yeah, what, a, it, what a rare, nice story. <laughs> Yeah, good news. I do actually have one good story about human remains. So that does. Uh, so I'm going to ask the question, and I, I mean, I know the answer, but where do most of the bodies in the medical trade come from now? Now, for the most part, actually, I think I don't actually know. Norm. There was a time when I would have said that they were from India, and I did a lot of research on India's relationship with the human medical trade, and it's not good. Believe it or not. 
Yeah, uh, that's that's kind of what I was prompting was just that uh, India did become like a very serious hub for medical body trade. Yeah, for like 200 years. And I'm going to say something a little bit controversial. Most people do understand that the remains are Dalit and lower caste people. Um, they either are the remains of lower caste people or they were forcibly, like coercively uh, gotten. By lower caste people, there is there are people who are paid as very well considering the job to grave rob. Um, but most articles that you find are not going to say this directly because of casteism in India and casteism in India, as I've been told by friends of mine, exists mostly in like pretending that it doesn't exist and that the country is over it. So it's going to be. Like, again, most people are, it's kind of an open secret. You're not going to see it written down explicitly in many of these articles, but we go into the comments section, that's what people will say. Uh, I actually, I was curious if you saw, I, I found a a bit of investigative journalism on YouTube from a channel called Medlife Crisis of a doctor who actually uh, was from India and on a trip to India attempted to see how easy it was to get a hold of human remains. Oh, it's super easy. Yeah, it turns out it was extremely easy. The consensus was basically that they would sell it to him, and where he took them after that was his business and his problem. Yep. And that is, I mean, yeah, there keeps being investigative reports on this. The one that um, that Google will regularly recommend to you is by a man named Scott Carney, who wrote a book called Red Market on the human bone yes. trade in India. Um, but this is, um, it, it's, it's still a good book. And if you would like to read further into it, that's going to be the one that you should use. But it is at this point 20 years out of date because it supposes that the trade is over. Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know Scott Carney if he's still alive. Uh, I imagine if he is that he's probably constantly weeping at how much farther it's progressed, in fact. Yeah. And the, I don't know, I don't know what to call it, the privatization of human remains. That's a good way of putting it. Uh, yeah, I just, I don't think remains. it can be overstated, the, the extreme colonial roots in how all of this got so bad. Yeah. I mean, again, it's just, it's depersonalizing people. It's like we were talking about before. It has its roots in unmaking a person. And yeah. it is really easy to do, especially in not just the oddities field, but also in the medical field. I know from speaking with doctors that it becomes difficult to keep the line between an object and a person when your job every day is to scrape off a tumor, cut off a toe, or take off someone's eye. The line begins to blur because once that is gone, that is no longer that person. And oftentimes that person will not want it i mean i wanted my wisdom teeth i wanted them real bad um, yeah i wanted my gallbladder yeah but not I everybody to get does back. i know but they but were like does. they were like it is so far gone it's just gonna be mush <laughs> and you were like i want that jelly <laughs> yeah i did they told then it was biohazard laws yada yada self-growing jelly give it to me yeah, I was just like, it's my business if I want to drink my own gallbladder. This is the ultimate in body consent. That one's mine. Yep. <laughs> but not everybody does. <laughs> and at that point, it is an object. And so there is there does tend to be this slippery slope where it's like, what is and what is not an object? 
Uh, I don't know if this is going to be like a hot take, but it seems to me like the kind of thing that only the person it belonged to could decide. Yep. I would be very comfortable if I lost a toe saying, this is an object, and I'm going to throw it into the crowd, and whoever catches it gets to keep it. But that's <laughs> because it's me, and I have a different relationship to that than someone else might have to their toe. Right. Or the guy who ate his own foot meat, would, that was his foot meat. Exactly. That was his determination of his relationship to that piece of his body. And how would you, listener, feel if you were in the grocery store t- tomorrow and you saw somebody's foot wrapped in plastic in the meat aisle? Would you consent think, to that? I, I think that there's an unnerving number of people who would do it because it's cool. Because, like, that's what we're looking at with the current, like, antiques trade in human remains, right? Like, right. why do people obtain these things and the only answer I can ever come up with is because they think it's interesting and cool. Yeah. To see exactly how hard they can go. To prove to themselves and to others that they can do it. I mean, if and Lord Byron like, can drink out of a skull, why not me? Was his real, though? It, okay, if not Lord Byron, it was definitely real when Victor Hugo did it because all of them little r- romanticists were trying to copy them. Oh, God, yeah, they were just passing skulls around. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yuck. Yeah. Yeah, it was. it's definitely one of those things that um, I, I feel pretty, I think a lot of people can actually uh, commiserate with this. I feel pretty qualified to talk about how bad and wrong it is because I was on the other side of the fence for a long time. Right. I'd kind of oh, bought yeah. into the idea that bodies could be things that I owned. And actually, what changed my mind on that was, um, as an adult, we did this road trip, uh, and we found this antique store. It was an oddity store. I, I like to go in because I like medical implements. I remember the story. Yes, and um, there was a skeleton that it was old enough to have had like the leather fixation for the uh, the sternum. Right. Right, and, and here's my relationship to it. I know exactly what you're talking about, and I know what year that is, because I am also familiar with this. Oh, what year is it? Because I only, I only know it in vague terms. Um, I think it's like the 1890s, because they're still in pretty good condition these days. Yes. Yeah, I think that, that sounds about right. Uh, but yeah, and she was telling me that this particular body had come from a particular time and in a particular area of Chicago, at which point um, it was speculated that uh, there's one guy who made more bodies than he traded. Uh, <laughs> yeah? Canada. In Chicago? Yeah, in Chicago, right around the World's Fair. That's weird. Hmm. Did so they write a book a... about that? <laughs> yeah. Did they do a last podcast on the left episode about that? They sure did. <laughs> Devil in the White City. Shout out to Eric Larson. Yeah, so uh, high probability, I would say, that it was actually one of H.H. Holmes' victims. Right. Um, And the more I kept going over the information that I had at hand, uh, which already, this is more provenance than I would say most people I know or I've met that have human remains that I've ever had. This is like the most information I've ever heard someone give on a piece of human body part. Um, that changed my relationship to the thing I was viewing because suddenly I was looking at what might have been a murder victim that never got acknowledged, much less justice. Right. There's no way to trace that person's family down. Yeah. Or if that person's family even went past, like, they could have been the last member of their family. That whole name could be gone now. Yep. 
Uh, and yeah, that moment I think had a really, really big impact on me. Um, cause, and I don't know if it's true or not, but the possibility, uh, that that was what I was looking at what I was like interacting with was really heavy. Yeah. It was pretty weird to me when I did finally get to go to the Mutter Museum to see that they had a section of Einstein's brain on display. And it's supposed to be the section of his brain that was considered heavier than the rest of it. That is kind of weird, isn't it? To dissect a Holocaust survivor's brain. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, implication in that where you are wondering if someone even took into consideration what they were doing and who they were doing it to. I'm sure they thought that they were being, they were honoring him. Yeah. They always, because he was a science guy. Right. Like, <laughs> and maybe they were, but the fact that no one knows is a problem. Right. The mother is actually, it's a really confusing place for me. Um, my visit to it was very emotional personally. Yeah. Uh, I got, I got, I, I had a lot of very intense feelings um, while I was there. And at the time I attributed that to, I think a lot of it is very tasteful. Yeah. Uh, like you said, a lot of it, they do have documentation proving consent. Right. Such as the two um, people who were in their minds, the only two people with their medical condition where their muscles were turning into bone. Yeah. For the record, that actually is uh, the part where I did kind of start crying. It, it was such an intense story, you know? Yeah, it was incredibly intense. <laughs> Just imagine not being able to run one day. Yeah, I think there's a the part of the story where they have to sleep in specific positions because there's a chance that their muscle tissue will ossify in that position and will be stuck like that for the rest of their living days. Yeah. Uh, that was... Yeah, it's it's very it's very hard to confront something like that. And then there's this whole section of the Motor Museum that is like, well, confront it. Yep. And I think that's extremely valuable, but then I think there are parts of the museum that are, uh, shall we say, less valuable. For example, listing Romani skulls under slurs for that group of people. Yeah, like, that super sucks. And if they had consented to being displayed in this fashion, I guarantee they wouldn't want you to use that verbal, that, that, that particular wording, like... Nope. Uh, so I also have another question uh, as someone who's into archaeology. What's it? Deeply. Yeah, an archaeologist, you might, some might say. <laughs> uh, what about bodies that are so old that you might be tempted to stop considering consent and personhood altogether? Uh, I, you see a lot of joke. I don't want to, I don't want to turn this into like, you should feel bad about your memes or whatever, but like, you see a lot of jokes about bog bodies, for example, and like thinking about the motor and thinking about the, butter la soap lady the soap lady. and the idea of someone being named the soap lady and not having a name like there's an awful lot of objectification there but also as a really really old body i mean it is that what the fuck am i going to do if in 300 years the only way that i'm known is that i grew some really weird mushrooms um I, that is really tough I mean, basically, like, the way that I've been thinking about this is just goes back to the death tourism comment that I made earlier, where it is, you know, you can't just fly over and pluck up somebody else, somebody's bog body. Like, the bog bodies are heritage items, ultimately. You know, it's the same thing with any, with the Egypt uh, mummies as well, uh, or mummies anywhere else, including the soap woman. They are not just examples of, like, 
in some ways, they're kind of examples of the way that the human body literally interacts with, with its environment. And there are some, I mean, actually, I was about to say there are some instances, but in every instance, it's a combination of the way that the human body interacts with its environment and the way that the human psyche processes that. So the soap woman, soap lady was an incredibly poor person, if I understand correctly, and she lives in a basement and she died down there. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, that was that was the the narrative that's given at the museum. Right. So she was living in incredibly poor conditions. And because of a number of medical conditions, uh, not only died, but experienced incredibly weird post-mortem biological processes. That is not just an object, it is, she is a woman who experienced a very specific set of circumstances that don't exist anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think like that's the part I walked away with is just like this could never happen again. Like yeah. it's so specific to this single individual. Um, but it did make me feel a little bit weird when in the gift shop they had bars of soap that looked like her. Yeah. And I don't know, like I I know again, I know this isn't gonna be like a thing anyone can answer because like you said, it's difficult, but like there is there's parts of it we're bridging the gap and like, yeah, a little bit of like dark humor can go a long way to get people open to talking about these things. Um, but how far is too far? I don't know. You know what I kept thinking about while I was doing research for this was very specifically about, um, how Foucault had this really weak, like wild series of thought experiments while he was trying to work out, uh, punishment regarding, sexual activity and he was like oh well you know what if somebody is mentally chat like like mentally disabled and a bunch of other shit i don't even want to go through the entire thought process because it's just very complicated and he was going through a whole bunch of his own type of trauma and it was also a fuck but like a lot of his questions were answered really succinctly by the idea of consent which hadn't really, which didn't really exist yet. You know, it needed to be developed over the course of the next couple of decades. And as much as people keep trying to poke holes in it, it still holds up pretty well as a thought framework. And so it's possible that we just don't have a proper framework to use regarding this right now. And some of that might have to do with the fact that we have such a poor relationship with death. What do you think? I like that. I like that. That's a really good answer. I like that. Uh, I did want to have a pause here so we could kind of imagine how angry Ken would get remembering Foucault. Um, I don't know that he's ever going to forgive him for that whole, well, we can't say gay because that wasn't a concept. Uh, <laughs> and the inadvertent damage that did. I'm starting to realize why we had that conversation last week. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Can, <laughs> we'll talk about that off of, off air. <laughs> yeah, that's. I know it's not Foucault's fault, but boy, boy, did it happen. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's actually a really yeah, that's a really good framework to to think about it under, and just like the idea that we don't have that relationship to build this concept yet. Thank you for being succinct about that. Uh, <laughs> I, I did also want to ask. Yeah. Um, so you actually you mentioned body worlds, uh, the bodies exhibit, yeah. Yeah. And talking about dehumanizing people and taking people apart so that they're no longer human. 
a lot of the people who were uh, stripped to be put on display for the bodies exhibit for art and educational purposes uh, turned out to be Chinese prisoners who did not consent to this, whose families did not consent to this. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it was one of those things I tried to do some research actually a while back. This is another one where I stumbled into this uh, in person because um, I wasn't aware of the difference between the actual body worlds, which as far as I understand is very strictly consent based. Um, very transparent The you Wait. know, the German guy. Yes. God help me. I've forgotten his name, but, but the actual branded body worlds by that German guy who invented plasticization, as I understand it is a hundred percent above board full. He tells you what will happen and you have to consent to the donation. And I believe he only takes people like who are still alive to donate after death. That's cool. So, I'm like, I, I just wanted to clarify that there is actually one that is, like, actually pretty ethical. Uh, I guess, depending on how you feel about animals, he does those too, but, like, whatever. I'm not concerned about that. I'm looking at the website right now, and the plasticization is really well done. But, yeah, I'm actually, yeah. I'm on the uh, Wikipedia page concerning the ethical concerns of the bodies exhibition, and I forgot that it was specifically Falun Gong part- practitioners. Yes. Yes, it was the Falun Gong. Uh, that was, yeah, that was, um, I ended up going to one of those. I did not realize, uh, again, I was much younger. I did not realize there was a difference between body worlds and bodies revealed and real bodies. Yep. Uh, with different shows. And, uh, at the time, someone had mentioned that in the exhibit, uh, and I asked one of the personnel on staff to answer questions and they said, uh, pretty unashamedly, yes, they were largely Chinese prisoners. Great. Um, the concept being, of course, there's, I don't, I, I'm very, I want to be very tender with this because the risk of being accidentally racist, I think is very high when you're talking about, uh, the idea of like Chinese media being sort of unreliable by the time it gets to us. You know what I mean? Yeah. There, like, there's a lot of things that we are not privy to. I don't, that doesn't mean that literally everything you see from China is non-believable, or suspect, or state-run media, but it does create a hurdle in researching things like this. Right. I mean, like, uh, but- we can say the same, <laughs> listen, we can say the same, same thing about America all day. Yeah, that, it's 100% the same, yeah. Yeah. Like, good luck so, yeah, finding... I, I, like the, the, <laughs> by the way, uh, the water issue is still ongoing. There are still pipelines being driven all over the country. Fracking is still a problem. Good luck finding that on a top news story right now. Yeah, exactly. Like, God, it was... It was so frightening when I was researching for lead in antiques, and what I was getting was how to survive lead in your city. Oh, great! Uh, it's very cool country we live in. So yeah. yeah, I'm not. It's not. This isn't on them for the fact that they are China. It is that sometimes governments are bad, and this will happen as a result. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the idea is that, um, as you mentioned, they are practitioners of Falun Gong, and that, like you'd said, this was considered a punishment. Uh, basically, you fail to... The idea that I was hearing was that you fail to have bodily autonomy a- upon arrest yeah. in a lot of places. And, like, legally, you lose bodily autonomy upon your death when you die in prison. Fuck. Which means that the uh, the police... Uh, the, the police s- situate... I don't know what to call them. I, I know it's not literally cops that are doing this. It's, you know, the, bureauc- the bureaucracy behind the Chinese police. Got using it. Chinese generally because it happens in a lot of different areas. Uh, they are the ones who make the donation. 
uh, against the will of anyone involved. Yep. Yay! And if you and think that becomes <laughs> more scary because one of the bodies on display was a pregnant woman. Yeah. Oh, more than uh, one at the I'm one sure. I saw. Yeah. 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 I was about to say. So I would be very careful about which one you're visiting. Yeah. Like I said, I do believe that the the original body worlds, uh, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I do believe that that actually is above board and not committing atrocities against prisoners. Um, I hope, I hope that, I hope that's, I hope that's still the case. Uh, when I was looking into it back then, that was the case. Uh, but yeah, basically what you want to do is do your research so that you're not complicit in something that horrifying. Yep. I don't have anything to add to that. I just, I, I think it's, it's really, it's, it's weird. We, like, we keep talking about double-edged swords about it, it does bridge this gap with making people, like, respond to the idea that the human body is a bag of meat and will die. And, and like, um, I did end up going to an actual Body Worlds, one of the good ones exhibit, uh, where I was, you, you are privy to people having, like, these experiences with confronting death. Right. Oh, it does something to your brain, but I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I, I thought it was a very good experience, especially when it was the good one that wasn't using prisoners. But I do think that they've developed a sort of Las Vegas... I, I think that they're very much at risk of contributing to the objectification of human remains. Right. Because it is, um, at the I end think, of the day, a show that needs to sell tickets. Yeah, it's it's making money. It yeah. doesn't exist on its own as an educational thing. And like, while I don't think the thing it's selling is inherently bad, I think that the uh, the mood, the vibe that they have generated around it is very circus-like. Yeah. Which is extremely detrimental. It leads people to think, especially of uh, foreign people as things to be amused by. Right. And I also just like, once again, we can touch back on the conversation that we were having about the, uh, the Curiosities Expo and the guy who was being yeah. dissected in front of a crowd. And my assessment that I would possibly feel more comfortable if it was in an actual dissection room. Yeah, with a doctor. With a doctor. <laughs> Not at a convention. Because, yeah, as I understand, the guy doing the dissection was just some guy. Some guy who had experience dissecting bodies because he had done it more than once. But is that good? Yeah, is that... Uh, yeah, here's the thing. I want you to think about that. He's not a doctor. <laughs> he's not a medical professional. Has experience dissecting multiple bodies. That doesn't make me feel good. No. That makes me feel extremely bad. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know. It's... It's fucked up. I know. It's... Uh, I don't have answers. I really don't. There, I mean, there aren't these. These are all extremely dense moral questions, right? Right. And again, the thing is that, like, we do actually need to get cool about a lot of stuff real quick, or not real quick, but we gotta. We're about. Yeah, to... we've had a lot of time to get cool about it, and we have not been making any progress. No. Uh, and part of being cool is also like reparations to the people who were damaged the most by these policies. Yeah, that's the that's like. The real sticky wicket is that, yeah, I think the most important thing is recognizing the, like, inherently racist colonialist background that all of this has. Yeah. 
Like, without that first step, we're not going to get anywhere, because you can't just immediately rush over and be like, well, we've got to protect all the little white children from being trafficked. Well, that's not... Yes, it's a concern. Is it step one? No. No. Because the little white children are not the primary targets of this. Yeah, and if you notice when stuff like that happens, when a child's... A little white child's remains are in some way disrespected. You'll notice that that will make the news pretty quick. Right. Yeah. It's uh, very- while I was researching for this, I found out for the first time about the Philadelphia move issue. The, the move bombing? Yeah, the move bombing. Okay. Two of the children who were killed in that bombing oh. were uh, not returned to their family, oh, but were used as case studies. Oh, great. Against, without asking anyone for permission. <sighs> God. Uh, it, yeah, apparently it only recently kind of came to light, but it happened in 1985. I mean, I'm really glad that they actually did manage to track down those the, those kids' families. Yes, apparently they the bodies have been returned. Yeah, and that is a good conclusion to this. Yeah, but like, yeah, move the move bombing was a hate crime against a black advocacy organization. And we only now found out that they had done horrendous things to the bodies of the people who were victims. Yeah. So it does seem like the first step is that we... It's very easy. We have to fix racism. (laughs) First racism, and then we can start to reconnect with with death as a culture. With death, yeah. Yeah. We We have to stop being murderers, and then we can connect with death, I think. Racism, capitalism death these are all very simple steps i hope you're taking notes yeah yeah take notes and get uh this is homework (laughs) i'm gonna need you to stop doing those things on your way home tonight i need you to pull over the car and racism (laughs) i mean i mean yeah that's like i would say the actionable thing is that you can just con just listen listen to people when they talk about these issues yeah because there are a lot of there are a lot of uh, expats from India who are currently talking about the disgust that they feel with bodies in the curiosity trade. Um, I while I was looking, seeing how easy it was to just go get skulls, the Bones Room has a listing that says number six zero four three Indian male. Great, I love like, that. Like that's and there's a lot of those like from India because I'm pretty sure India didn't ban the exportation until 1985 so there's a lot of them still around. Right. They didn't ban the exportation and then like once again as early as the as 2008 Scott Carney was still finding that the bone trade was ongoing in Calcutta. Yeah. So the first thing is to listen to them. You got to they're talking about it. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the issues uh, that might be happening in India is that they do have a similar uh, states' rights system in place. So it might be that it did end in Calcutta and then it just moved to across the border and picked up somewhere else. Yeah, I actually, um, I, I read some parts of, I read some parts of Red Trade, and yeah, it seems very much similar to the U.S., where the interstate laws are confusing and is selectively enforced. Right. Which just leads to an area where lots of people can just kind of not get caught doing it yeah yeah just not get caught that's all yeah yeah which when when laws are that vague and rarely enforced it's very easy to not get caught i have done it with taxidermy specimens i'm not proud of it but i have done yep uh also since i don't want to leave anybody out i do also want to point out that the masons do have uh human remains as well 
This is an antique yes. ritual. I don't, I'm not a Mason, so I'm not going to say if this is still ongoing, but I do know that a lot of Masonic halls do hold on to their antiques uh, to keep them out of, the gr- out of the grubby hands of people like me who do like to collect Masonic antiques. <laughs> um, the, the Odd Fellows, too, I think, right? Yeah, but I don't know how wide the Odd Fellows is. Yeah, I don't know either. Certainly not as widespread as the Masons. Exactly. That's why I'm bringing up the Masons. But yeah, there are a lot of these uh, secret organizations that started in the 19th century that do still have some human remains kicking around in their basements from rituals that they used to do. And I guess that's a whole other moral kettle of fish, huh? Yeah, I mean, there's no way that we're going to be able to reconnect those people back to their families. Yeah, unfortunately. And I I feel like it would be easy to bring up, like, is... Is what they're doing a form of respect as it is like a semi-religious ritual? Uh... I don't know. <laughs> it's just that it's not their ancestors they're doing it with. Yeah. Oh, did you want me to tell the story of the the Veneranda? Is that what they're called? The Napolitan witches? Yes, 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 100%. Hold on, let me Google the name of them. Oh, here it is. This is absolutely the article that Evan wrote. Unfortunately, Evan is not good enough at Spanish to... uh, Listen to me. Uh, (laughs) Evan is not good enough at Italian to actually name what they're called. Italian can be difficult. Yeah. Oh, le anima pesantele is what it is called. The patron saint of Naples is covered in it. But the way that she told me this story was basically that during World War II, while the Allies were bombing Naples, a lot of people ran up into the mountains for shelter. And while they were up there, a bunch of human remains were knocked loose from a different shelf. Because uh, in the mountains in Italy, a lot of the mountains are carved into these shelves for people to farm on top of. Is that clear? Yeah. Yeah. And so from a different shelf, the graveyard came down and it came into the caves where people were hiding. And so while the Allies were bombing, these Napolitan peasants were like, these Napolitan people were like, would take these skulls and they would turn to the skulls and they would say, I'm going to pray for you so that you can stay in heaven. And in exchange, you are going to protect me. And so this created this branch of witchcraft, the anima anima, uh, pesantele, where women would have family skulls and they would take care of them and they would treat them kindly if things were going well and punish them if things were going badly. I think when I was telling you this story, just like on a phone call, I said it was kind of like Catholic folk saint magic where you punish the saint until they do good by you. And then you give them a little treat. Yeah. Little saint treat. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very common in uh, folk religious based. I mean, Christian is the only kind I'm familiar with, but yeah, Christian based folk magic and Christian based uh, folk saints. Yeah. And when Evan was telling me the story back in like 2013, she said that it was kind of dying out because the next the uh, the consecutive generations didn't have the same connection to these skulls that their grandmas did. And so it might be a dead or dying um, cult. But I have never been to Naples before, and I doubt that I would be let into this group even if I did. So I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, is that ethical? I, I mean, it's their family members, right? Well, they don't know. They just fell out of the graveyard. Oh, they just fell out of a graveyard. Right. That was the whole thing. The graves were destroyed. Yeah, I guess that's a really good question. It's, it isn't being, I, I would say 
I would call it more ethical than literally anything else we've discussed because they're not treating them as objects. Right. I mean, again, if I went over there and did some death tourism, that would be fucked up. Yeah, if you walked in, you yeah, if you paid, uh, like, I'm sorry, how do you say someone from uh, Naples? Napolitan. Napolitan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if you paid some Napolitan woman to show her, her to show you her skull, like, I don't know that that would be ethical. Yeah. But like, if it's a form of reverence, that is like, I think inherently respecting the existence of this person as a human. Yeah. So like, I don't find it strange i don't know if that's if i'm biased because i am a christian raised like but yeah i I think that there's a part of it where there is a form of reverence that makes me feel not gross about it that's fair i'm on board with that i'm signing off on that okay thank you (laughs) like yes i got the person who studies dead people to let tell me that it's a good opinion (laughs) yeah i um I, I found out, I, I, I didn't know about the Instagram thing. I actually sort of assumed all of the corpse crimes were being committed on TikTok because I just assume bad things are happening on TikTok all the time. Bad things are happening all over the internet. We had a That's conversation, true. actually at this point probably was a couple of months ago, about how their looters would just throw random ass shit on Facebook and sell it. Yeah. Yeah, Facebook, all this, there's so many security issues on Facebook and like Facebook just adding another one. Facebook at this point is a sin. Facebook, I, this is a major sidebar. I agree with the European Union. No more. Get it out. <laughs> I do. I also agree. Hell yes. There was on Instagram, there was a, a forensic team that was monitoring, like, and tracking the sales of human remains over Instagram. Yeah. Uh, actually, I actually have their names, Christine Holling and Ryan Seidemann. Okay, good. Uh. They tracked 454 sales and 56 were, in their words, of forensic or archaeological interest. Oh, no. Oh, man, I have actually met forensic people who have come into Obscura and they were like, yeah, there have been times when, like, we had to do an actual case study on certain remains. Like, this woman, yeah. this woman came in and told me that somebody tried to sell, not a body, but a coffin. And she went to go look at it because she's actually into curiosities and oddities. And the coffin was covered in dirt inside and out. And she was like, what the fuck is this? She had to call. She had to go back to work in that moment. (laughs) God. Yeah. I think, I think coffins freak me out slightly less because there are a lot of situations where you can rebury your loved ones and have your leftover coffin. I mean that too, but there's also so many coffins that don't get used. I mean, this is like a lot of the funerary stuff. I feel nothing about because there's no way that you can know whether they were, they even touched a human body. Yeah. It's so transitory and, and and those are objects, even through the funerary process, they remain objects the whole time. They remain objects. We are in a post-industrial society. Those things get churned out by big machines by the thousands every day. Yeah. So, yeah, they don't, like, I'm on the same page. Uh, funerary objects do not bother me. Yeah. Yeah, I have seen, I saw a beautiful coffin one time. Um, it was a child's display coffin, and there were little gutters inside of it. So just in case, this is morbid. But just in case the child leaked, it would yeah. be, it would go out into a tray that you could uh, take out at the bottom, and it was never used before. And I think that thing would be great for beer. Yeah, I actually have uh, seen people use something like that as for beer. Yeah. Yep. 
Um, yeah, I uh, I sold a a transport basket of it was a a little wicker casket meant to transport the body to a funeral. Yeah, home. I've seen those. Um, yeah, I sold it to a lady to use for her yarn. She was just uh, morbid and. That sounds like a. She was like, "Well, it's pretty, and I'm going to put my yarn in it." And I was like, "Hey, yeah." <laughs> there wasn't anybody in it at the time, was, so no. Yeah, this is like when I would like talk to people about like um, prosthetic limbs. Yes. Yeah, because like once again, yeah, the, the assumption that medical assistance devices are always haunted for some reason. <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah, like we would when we had the, the little kid braces, and someone was like, "Oh my god." This child died, and we were like, we have no way of knowing if that's true. He could have just grown up. Yeah, this is a little one. He could have just gotten big and got a bigger leg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's an obnoxious attitude, honestly. How many wheelchairs? How many wheelchairs? <laughs> no, every single wheelchair is haunted. If you see every, a wheelchair, every. there's a ghost in there. Yeah, probably from someone who heard you say it was haunted and got mad. <laughs> well, now I'm not getting up. <laughs> Yeah, well, now I'm not leaving it. Now I'm going to fucking creak this around your fucking house, you presumptuous bastard. But nobody ever says this about eyeglasses. <laughs> yeah, hey, where's all the stank? Where's all the stank energy coming off of eyeglasses? You know, sunglasses used to be made out of uh, quartz, black quartz. What's the word? I want to yeah, say shadow quartz. quartz. Smoked quartz. Thank you. Yeah, shadow, shadow quartz. <laughs> fucking writing, writing a fucking young adult novel. Shadow, shadow quartz. quartz, the haunted shadow quartz sunglasses. <laughs> Me and my fucking Hiram's haunted as shit. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. Reading that fifty-six of those, I like. If you're a true crime enthusiast as I am, and I say that bitterly because it's very hard to claim to be a part of that group and maintain your dignity at these days. Um. All I could think of was that, like, 56 of those could have been cold case related. Yeah. Like, how many disappearances never get solved up against how many skulls are currently for sale? 454 on fucking Instagram. Yeah. And, like, yeah, like, in 56 of those, someone in the Department of Justice said, yeah, something, I would want to study that and see if it's related to something medical or criminal. Yep. Like, that's so. It, it it kind of it kind of blows my mind that the people who are trading in these objects are not thinking that way because even when i was interested in it that was what was pulling me to them was the biographical nature of it yeah who was this person yeah and like of course that would turn around on me and be like oh my god why would i can't i can't buy and sell that who was this person yeah but yeah, it just, it kind of blows my mind that that isn't a common, doesn't seem to be a common thought process with people who collect this stuff. Again, you can turn off that portion of your brain. You can stop thinking about that. It gets really easy. I mean, I was disappointed in myself because I was having trouble eating my lunch and doing research for this episode because I know that for years, I would eat my lunch in front of a jar of eyeless monkey heads. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that, that's some <laughs> powerful distancing. I have pushed aside half-finished taxidermy projects so that I would have space for my sandwich so many times in my life. I told you that story about, like, 
actually holding a plasticized human hand. And then I went home and I was eating dinner and I ordered chicken teriyaki and I'm eating the chicken teriyaki. And I looked down and I was like, this is exactly what that human hand felt like. Yes. And I was not able to finish eating. Uh, Yeah. So like there exists a line for you where you are forced to kind of reconnect to it. Yep. So what's going wrong with these freaks on Instagram? Haven't crossed that line yet. John John's bones is still going. And like, is there a thing I can hit them with that will make them have that realization? No. It keeps happening. And they keep not doing it. Just keep- I do you think that there's any validity? Uh this is actually something I have encountered. People who will buy them claiming to save them from the trade. You know, that whole like, well, I'll be different, I'll love and cherish them and possibly talk to them because i'm psychic or whatever you gotta uh, fuck i don't know this is this i mean like ideally you should try to get them to the people that they belong to which is not you because that's not your grandma i don't know i just i think that there's i think the second you you posit something to me where the answer is but i'm different i immediately like no why put it back okay okay fine how about this you are different you are the only different one what about everybody else what about everybody else, though? Like, how are we supposed to know who the different ones are? How are we supposed to test? How are we supposed to find That's out? That's the thing. Yeah, this is um, this is like uh, what I always called uh, Schrodinger's Nazi, <laughs> which is like not everyone who's interested in World War II is a bad person, a white supremacist, or a not neo-Nazi, right? Right. But how do you tell? Right. It's like that, um, like <laughs> like that scene in Ghost World where the reason why she gets really interested in that blackface advertisement is specifically because people are trying to cover up and hide this gross piece of history, but then when she puts it on display, everyone is like, "Seems like something a racist would do." Yeah. Did you see Ghost World? I, I actually haven't seen Ghost World. I have heard about that scene though. Okay. It comes up in certain antique circles for, you know, obvious reasons. Yeah, it does. And, I mean, again, this is, like, Schrodinger's racist piece of shit because there are black people who collect this stuff for the historical, yeah. like, important historical value that it does actually possess. And, and like, for the example of the, this, uh, this protagonist in Ghost World, kind of the same reason, there is something about people trying to shove it down and hide it that makes you want to put it back on center stage and say, look what you did. Yeah. But the problem is that the reception is variable. Right. And also, this this isn't objects that we're talking about. We're not talking about advertisements. We're talking about people. And there is a different level of requirement to proving that you are actually the one who is the best person to have this skull. Yeah. Yeah. I, if you don't see the difference between a human skull and a racist box of oats then like <laughs> i i can't help you become better that's really bad <laughs> and i guess if you heard me say that and for a second you didn't get the difference then like ah, i hope that was a wake-up call for you yeah <laughs> like if you're a human being you should immediately know that a, a racist box of oats and a human skull are two very different things <laughs> If you have some kind of object blindness, then you're making some very weird breakfasts. Yeah, that's like, yeah, if you do have some sort of object blindness or some neurological issue, that's fine. But I am concerned about your (laughs) breakfast in a lot of ways. Um, Please 
consider buying less racist oats among <laughs> other things. So, okay, I got one more. I got another fucking moral quandary for you. Oh, I boy, I easier. love these. <laughs> I, replicas. I think they're fine. Um, yeah, I mean, like, if you're going to be doing, uh, if you want them just for your house, Bone Clones is really good. There are a bunch of uh, stores that carry medical grade antique, uh, not antiques, medical grade replicas that are really high quality. Um, I don't personally like the ones that have like little fake muscles attached to them, but that's just preference. I also don't like the ones with a bunch of numbers written all over them because I usually use lose the booklet that's attached to tell me what those numbers mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I um I was introduced to the world of bone clones by people who collected animal skulls uh who didn't want to for very obvious reasons engage in uh, endangered species and bone clones actually are a really great answer to rounding out an animal skull collection that way. Yeah, and they are very pretty. Uh sometimes they're a little bit too heavy for my tastes, but other times they are really good. And also it's been a couple of years since I was able to handle a bone clone. You know what's so weird actually since we've been, we've been dunking on the Natural History Museum for all these years, they do have a bunch of bone clones at their museum. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I was like I was I was going there for school actually and I looked at one and I was like I used to sell that shit. The fuck? <laughs> I know exactly what that is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, wait a second. You're a phony. <laughs> so yeah, bone clones oh, approved bones. by the Natural History Museum, the one where Teddy Roosevelt comes alive at night. Yeah. I don't know. I just Is that really? Yeah, it's it, they they made a documentary Wait, you're, you're about you're from it. New York. You can't lie to me. He's alive, right? Yeah, yeah, he's totally alive. Yeah. Oh fucking. Him great. and awesome. the and the gay cowboy and his little gay Roman Empire emperor boyfriend. Hell yeah. Hell Oh, this is <laughs> All right. You want to know something embarrassing? I just realized you were talking about Night at the Museum. <laughs> Damn, I thought you were with me on that joke. I knew, I knew, okay, let me clarify. I knew that they didn't come alive. <laughs> but. I don't know like, if I, I believe I you anymore. As, I was approaching this as a joke, but it took me a second to remember that the joke was based on a film. <laughs> a documentary. Because he comes alive. <laughs> yeah, a documentary because it's real. And there is a little Owen Wilson cowboy who's in love with a Roman soldier. Yes. I saw I saw a wonderful uh comic about their wedding. It was great. I haven't seen any Aww. of the movies. It's actually really not accurate to the layout at all. Oh, is it not? It's not. That was literally gonna be my next question. Shit, we're gonna do a whole episode where <laughs> wanna do an extra episode where we make you watch Night at the Museum. Hell yeah. Because we're already going going to be like shoving you into like Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy. Like, look at this, look at this. You're not shoving. So me. like, we may as well just keep doing it to you. <laughs> like, we're just gonna keep putting archaeology things in front of you, going like, hey, check it out, check it out. That's all I do. This is I'm not allowed to watch movies with Simi anymore that take place in historical setting because that's all I do. <laughs> then hey, I, I'm gonna bring it up to Ken that maybe we could watch it at the museum. <laughs> She's literally been like, "Will you please shut the fuck up and let me enjoy this show?" Oh no! <laughs> oh no! The Ah, uh, the girlfriend struggle we all know. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I want to point out that that crucifix would have been made early in the 1950s. <laughs> Do the same thing. To be fair, yeah, I mean, same. Does John get mad at you? No, currently he actually, uh, I mean, <laughs> we haven't been dating as long. Okay. So I don't know if maybe I just haven't like reached his line, but I do spend a lot of time going like, that's not accurate. That kind of, that wouldn't be used in this time period. It would look like this. 
<laughs> it's actually really cool. It would have been even cooler if they added that in. Yeah, like if they'd used the actual historical reference, it would have been way cooler. Uh, the costuming is bad. It's incorrect. I was really looking forward to seeing the real authentic thing. And like, oh my god, it's very, uh, it's a very difficult conversation to have about corsets. I don't like the bit way that they turn corsets into a into a shorthand for feminism. Yeah. And so far, he's taken it like a champ. But like I said, there, who knows? Who knows the future holds. John, if you're listening, sorry. Hey, John. <laughs> hey, John. Uh, but yeah, if you're looking for goth cred, bone clones, I think, are the way to go. Yeah. Uh, because those are objects that you can, yeah, just move around your house it's great actually how about this we'll commission bone clones to do a uh, goblet skull just for all you byron fans out there byron slash victor hugo fans (laughs) uh so i've actually i think that's already like i saw on etsy that someone had made a cereal bowl out of a bone clone (laughs) or i think it might have been their own just like a very very good detailed like like sculpture that they cast in resin as a cereal bowl. That's hard to do. They also make it as a goblet. And like the price was reasonable. It was like 80 or $90. That's nothing for like that much resin. Like so well worth it. Antiques freaks branded uh, cereal bowl skull. Yeah. Listen, like support an artist. Don't buy a real human thing. And that's, that's two cool points that I'm giving you right now for free. Uh, but yeah, I uh, thank you so much um, for thanks for, so much for coming on the show and talking to me about this. This is uh, great. I, I had a, a blast despite the grimness of the subject. Personally, I I don't. I think it's really important and it's exciting to talk about and know that I get to share, like how passionately I feel about this topic. Yeah, I mean, this is really intense. I mean, once again, the relationship that humans have to bodies literally extends the entirety of human existence yeah yeah it goes it goes back yeah it can touch on any topic you care to think about yeah man that's crazy to think about yep any subject but yeah i uh i hope you listening this maybe gave you food for thought uh maybe maybe you could start changing your own relationship to death and the human body think about it um yeah thanks again for having me and i i as usual such such an honor such a delight uh i always learn so much from you it is always a delight and honor for me to be allowed to creep into your show while the mothman is away be your substitute teacher for just a little (laughs) bit Aww. and i'm gonna creep in just a little bit longer to remind you all that i have another book coming out pretty soon on castane publishing it's going to be called Lockdown Laureate, and it is a collection of short stories and poetry. And it's going to be illustrated yes. by Corpse House, my good friend Soren <gasps> Haksan. It is very excellent. Okay, that sounds so. Go out and buy that immediately. Uh, and you want to you want to plug your previous book too a little bit? My previous book is called Lord of Thundertown. It is an urban fantasy. If you want to see all of these publications including a bunch of things that you can read for free, you can check out my website at ofcieri.com. That is O-F-C-I-E-R-I.com. Uh, do you have any sources you wanted to cite for this stuff? I sure do. So All right. I have my notes over here. Here we go. Uh, I have Decoding India's Secret Trade of Bone Smuggling by Sanjay, San, uh, excuse me, uh, Sanjana Ray, December 
5th, 2018 for thequint.com. Into the Heart of India's Underground Bone Trade by Scott Carney from November 29th, 2007 for NPR. Looted Skulls and Human Remains are being sold in black markets on Facebook by Owen Jarris for LiveScience.com. I love it when journalists make these titles. A TikTok bone salesman's wall of spines reignites ethical debates over selling human remains by John Pichea Ferry and his cat Chonk. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry. Thanks for your help, Chonk. I'm sorry. This, I guess that was the lead. I guess I accidentally copy pasted the lead into the uh, into my thing. But that was by that was. Oh, okay. Sorry, that's by Carolyn Anders for the Washington Post. Okay, and it came out last year in October. One more, Inside India's Underground Trade in Human Remains by Renyo Maifredi. The Human Bone Trade is Legal and Booming on Instagram by Riley Black for popsci.com. A Study Conservation and Exhibition of Human Remains in the Need of a Bioethical Perspective by Marta Licata, Alessandro Bonsignore, Rosa Boano, Francesca Monza, Ezio Fulcheri, and Rosa Gemma Ciliberti for... Uh, ncbi.nlm.nih. I should have actually checked to make sure which group this is, but this is a .gov. <laughs> this is a scholarly article. Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> U.S. National Library of Medical of Medicine and the National Institute of Health. And then one more from the same website. It's the Ethics of Using Human Remains in Medical Exhibitions: A Study, a Case Study on the Cushing Cushing Center. By Amina Salam. How about you, D? Because I know you did some research. Uh, you yeah, it was actually a lot of our sources. You just cited a bunch of my sources too. Uh, <laughs> the two that I found the most impactful was definitely the YouTube video. Yes, by Medlife. Uh, Can you Crisis. legally buy a real human skeleton by Medlife Crisis? Which also is an extremely funny username. Yeah. Uh. An article haunted by my teaching skeleton on sapiens.org written by Michelle A. Rodriguez. Now that's a good title. Yeah, it's a really, really good article. Uh, and an article on news.law.wfu.edu. Uh, Professor Tanya Marsh writes about laws permitting the sale of human remains in the Huffington Post by Professor Tanya Marsh. That sounds like a really good collection of resources for people. And if you want to start gentling your disposition towards death, may I suggest uh, Ask a Mortician on YouTube. She is the uh, one of the directors for The Order of the Good Death, which is a website devoted to material that you can use to begin your death positivity journey today. Yeah, uh, she's very gentle, wonderful to listen to, respectful, and informative. Thanks again for having me, Dee. Uh, and th thank you for being here. <laughs> And we will definitely have you again some. Yes! Bones! <laughs> Bones! Bones! <laughs> if you enjoyed the audio engineering, sound design, and music used in this episode, and would like to use it in your own projects, you should email chris.rasmusiewicz at gmail.com. That's C-H-R-I-S dot R-A-M-U-S-I-E-W-I-C-Z at gmail.com. Or visit oselkaaudio.com. That's o-s-e-l-k-a-audio.com. If you would like to suggest episode topics or just say hello, you can email us directly, antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. You can post in our Facebook group, Antiques Freaks Friends, or you can tag us on Tumblr, antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com. 
if you would like to listen to deleted scenes or listen to our special bonus episode presentation of the Victorian Penny Dreadful Varian the Vampire, you can hit up our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks. Special shout out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. And thank you in particular for listening. Au revoir!